Happy Friday morning, everybody. Welcome to yet another edition of the Surf and Sales podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Scott Lease, here with my good friend and co-host, uh, Richard Harris. And we are brought to you today by our proud sponsors and the ones who help us put this show on and keep us uh, motivated and bringing on new and cool guests, Salesforce Revenue Cloud gong.io and lead411.com. Check them out. If you're looking to grow your team, looking to grow your revenue this year, that's a great place to start with uh, some of our sponsors. And our guest today is a guy I've gotten to know a little bit over the last year and uh, get along quite well, have some interesting takes together, complain about the same things together sometimes. Uh, and he has got a very unique title, which I've just discovered the meaning of, which is the VP of GSD, get shit done and trainer over at the McDonald consulting group. And it's uh, Keith Daw. Welcome to the show, Keith. Thanks for having me guys. Yeah. We're happy to, uh, happy to have you here, man. What is this behind you? I'm people who are watching the video are going to be, you know, zooming in and trying to understand. It says, ask me about, and I can't, I can't really make all of it out. Disc okay. is that the person? Tell, tell me what's on the board behind you. He's selling, yeah. dude. He's he's subliminally selling. So that is, is I'm my, know what it is. You gotta love. You gotta see. That's why. That's why you're you're a great sales leader. You ask questions and then you don't be quiet long enough for them to answer. I'm just kidding. Totally. So it's because <laughs> I know everything. Right? I'm Gen X. Like so I don't. Wall, I'm not curious. I'm not a millennial. So the wall behind me is uh, here in my office is actually a training wall. So it's got the, the white wall, you know, stuff posted on there. So that way I can leave it for active coaching. So I had earlier this week, I was on for an association. And part of it was you can't do any kind of commercials. And you can't be that kind of a speaker, which I've never do anyway. At the same time, he said, they said, but if you have some collateral you'd like to share, so just being creative so I could remember what to be able to share with them. I wrote this on the wall. Well, I forgot to send it to them. I forgot to write it on the wall. They thought it was a clever take. So I just kind of kept it there. You know, a couple of topics that people have been you know, bringing up, you know, with regards to DISC, how do we communicate better? Uh, shorter sales cycle. Apparently that's a thing for people. Uh, sales playbook. So everybody's actually using the same things. Uh, we can have success. Next generation leaders, you got all these boomers. You mentioned the Gen Xers. You got all these boomers that are like, hey, I'd like to retire, go play golf. And which one of these knuckleheads might be the person that can take over my company and not tank it? Yeah. But if you're not finding them and developing them, guess what? They're going to leave and somebody else will. And then that all falls into succession planning. So combos that I've been having recently. And now thanks for the, for the free plug. Yeah, no worries. This is like actually a great, great lead in and an unexpected uh, delight because now my brain is kind of going because some of these things you've got written on the wall are things that we've talked about in the past and I've kind of been been writing about. Um, I'm going to start with what's actually at the bottom of your list, though, which is like the succession planning, right? One of the things that took me way too long to realize was I needed to kind of hire in the person who's going to replace me on my way out in order to ensure that the business would continue to thrive. Um, and I did a really poor job earlier in my career of understanding that and almost like had a little bit of pride in when the company would struggle after I left, like, see, you know, I should, I should still, still be there. Like I was more important or whatever. And I solved that at, at the last place. So talk a little bit about, you know, 
the mindset that people should have when it comes to succession planning and maybe a couple steps, tangible steps that people could take. Sure, sure. And, and just so it makes you feel a little bit better, I, I was that same person. Uh, I owned a public relations firm after having left an international public relations firm. I had all the sales experience. I had the leadership experience. I had the techno expertise. It's going to be amazing. But what I didn't do is start with that end in mind. What am I trying to build? Am I trying to build something that's going to be a $20 million company in 10 years? And how am I putting strategy, structure, what staff do I need? What skill do I or they need? Or am I just trying to build this thing up as quickly as I can in five years and have some big firm cut me a big check and then off to the next thing? So I would have done things a lot differently had I had some counsel to say, you've got two different routes, which one makes the most sense, or at least build it so I had a path A or a path B, either way I was set for success. So a lot of times when a company comes to me and it's looking for leadership, sales, customer service training, or, or something, that's usually where I'll start. What is the strategy? How long are you at this? What are you trying to accomplish? Tell me about... So when I can put on that business doctor hat, it allows me to understand, do you need my help for a couple months or are we going to be you know, digging deep here for the next three or four years and how much you're worth then and how much the team is worth then is all based upon the conversation we have in the next 60 minutes. And it makes certain that I'm not in that, you know, you know jumping into a training. Hey, look, I got all this amazing stuff on the shelf. It's going to be fun. It's going to be great. And it's a hundred grand. But if they also recognize that they've got $5 million versus 500,000 10 years from now, it's a completely different level of commitment to how we're gonna start that dance. So I have a question and it's actually for both of you. And you know, I'm probably still guilty of, I carry angst when it doesn't work out. I still have the FU attitude and Scott tries to work with me on that a lot. Um, how do you get past your ego? How do you, when, you know, when you're, you know, Scott, you and I've talked about this for years and, and Keith, it sounds like you, you've experienced too of like, okay, whether I'm leaving on my own or they're leaving, you know, they're asking me to leave because they're topping me off. How do I get past that ego to still try and support that company? Right. Where's that? You, where's that? Where's that come from within you? So I think the ego checking it at the door is tough for all of us. Even the people that say, oh no, I, it, it's tough for me personally. Part of it has been just experience. The, the fact the best way to go ahead and check your ego is to fail a bunch of times and lose a ton of money in the process. That tends to help make you a little more humble. But and if you're I, coaching someone, right? So let's, let's so, so now you have this wisdom, right? And you know, I think a lot of us, me in particular, um, you know, I'm really good at giving great advice. I'm not necessarily great at following my own advice, right? You know. So how would you coach that to someone? Let's say it is that that millennial who's done a great job to get it from zero to 10 million and 20 million, or even a Gen Xer like me, right? How would you coach them? What would you encourage them to think about to help them learn to check their ego? I, I always start with what could go wrong. So again, just as we were talking about with the session planning, starting with the, you know, the end in mind, say, all right, cool, I'll go with it. Hey, brainstorm, tell me, what is it you're looking to do? Why are you looking to do it? Why is this happening? Start blaming other people that are getting in your way. Whatever that, whatever that conversation goes, I just naturally let it flow because they need to get it out and I can listen and learn from. And then the next thing I'll ask is, great. Fast forward to whatever point you just had. What is the number one thing that could keep that from happening? And then just let it keep going from there. 
What can you do about that? How could you get in the way? The idea is their self-realization that their ego could be one of their strengths to have the motivation, the desire to achieve it, or their motive or their ego could actually be something that gets in the way of them hearing or seeing or doing something that's going to be successful. If they have that moment, that aha moment, they can own it. If I tell them I'm just an idiot. Which is a lot like sales, right? I want to turn it over to Scott and you kind of answered my question, but I'm going to ask it also just to see if you come up with something different, which is when do you know they've had that realization? When, when do you hear them go, you know what, Keith, you're right. I do need to do that. Uh, I mean, I think you explained it, but I'm just going to ask it differently in case something else comes to mind. So a lot of times it takes two or three conversations to be able to, to get to a point where either A, it clicks or B, they're willing to admit that it clicks. Uh, I had somebody that you know, was actually late in a second coaching call where he says, you know, I was talking to my wife about, and now that was an opportunity for him to really say, he'd been thinking about it, talking about it. He just needed another opinion. And apparently his wife gave him a much stronger opinion than I did. So everybody's at their own pace, I think, if they're willing and open to feedback. Otherwise, they're still going to go oblivious through life, and I'm probably going to fire them. Can't, can't hear you, <clears throat> Richard. You're, we lost your audio for a second, so I'm, I'm going to try to answer your question. Um, I'm going to answer two different parts. The first is like, how do I kind of make you aware? And, and for me, and Keith mentioned this, but it's all about like, well, how's that working out for you? <laughs> and meaning like, let's take a hard look at what you're losing and not getting by having the mindset and the behavior and the attitude that you've got right now. And then, you know, what would happen if that was different? And so I've been through this and to Keith's point about like failing, like I left a business that was worth almost $400 million at the time when I left. And years later when it sold, it sold for 50% roughly of what it was at when I left. That probably cost me half million to a million dollars, right? And that loss of that income and that, and that story, which could have propelled me, you know, to, to, bigger heights potentially in, in my career than I am now. Um, it's painful. It stings. And so as I walk you through that reality with me, I'm going to force you to look at how it's affected you. I'm going to make you now tell me the story and think about it in a way that you maybe haven't done or articulated to somebody else. And there's a bit of catharsis in getting it out of your brain and, and, and vocalizing it. Right. And so that's kind of where I would where I would start. And the one thing that I, that I would add on the end is to me, it's not so much about the realization, Richard, because I, I even heard you, you actually acted the tone perfectly. You're like, yeah, man, I really need to do that. Like I can hear that tone and I've heard that tone from you before about other things. I have that same tone when you tell me something and I'm like, oh, fuck, he's totally right. I hear the tone. It's not just that. It's like it's now what? It's the, what are we going to do about it now? What are some specific things that we can try to do differently to make sure this doesn't happen again? That's how I'm thinking about it. Yeah, it's interesting. There's, there's um, I've heard Scott say too, is that at some point you, and I agree with you, that 
you know, I'm happy to give you this advice, but if you don't go act on it, don't come back to me. I mean, that's not necessarily your attitude, but it's kind of like, it, tell, it tells you a lot, right? It tells you. But the other thing too, is that, and what I was heard, hearing with Keith that, that, that stuck with me is going to ask someone who's a peer what their opinion is and tell them not to agree with you, right? Like get that second piece. So Keith gives this advice. And then if I go ask my wife or I go ask Scott, and ask for the honest answer, then now I know there's, there's ability to move that person. Right. And, you know, Scott, you and I have, I think one of the downsides of our relationships is we would sometimes feed off each other's anger. Yeah, go do that. Right. We would become the yes guy of like, you know, give it to the man. Right. And, uh, and I think our relationship grows when we, and it's with anybody, when we say, ah, Scott, I think you're missing this man or Richard, like you need to think about it this way. So when you, seek the advice for people who are listening. I think you need to seek the opposite advice of what you're thinking. Like, tell me what I'm missing. Tell me what I don't know. Help me figure that out. And then you have to go get a little bit more comfort in that, making that decision by asking one or two other people that you really trust. So but that's what I got out of both of you saying it. So I, I appreciate you guys answering that. Now, Building on that, uh, I've had a few people over the years that have turned to me and said, hey, look, I need you to be my devil's advocate. I need you to think about, and, and in some cases that was great because it aligned me up to be of value to them. But there was the, the other part was, that's not intent, what I intentionally wanted to do. Like I wanted to be able to bring out the best, amplify, do all. But what I recognize is sometimes where some of those gifts where I could be most relatable or most valuable was the You've seen it grow and build. You've been part of family-owned, multi-billion, this, that. You've grown it, built it, failed. I want that, Keith. I want that perspective. Help me understand what I'm not missing. I've got a bunch of people I'm paying money to every single month that tell me what I want to hear. Tell me what it is I don't know or may not want to hear. Like that create that tension. That's where the value is. And I had somebody recently that said, you know, Keith, I didn't realize just how stupid what I said was until I heard myself say it. Like I could never work with that individual again. And they are better off for, you know, for having that statement and they owned it. I felt like I didn't even do much work to get them to that point, but at some point there needed to be a relatability, maybe some vulnerability on my part made them feel more comfortable being vulnerable. Scott, to your point, lose a couple hundred grand in, in a short period of time. That puts a little, a uh, little perspective on life for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That stings. That, that stings. And uh, hopefully has a, a way of maturing you for the better rather than having you go completely to the dark side and just turn into anger for forever. Like um, Scott and I do sometimes. <laughs> well, moments of anger are acceptable. Right. Dwelling with the anger is, is, is not good. Yeah. As, right? And my, my favorite, my favorite text from Scott, he knows what I'm about to say. I know Keith is, is, you know, we were talking about something on text and he just, he may just text me and goes, I hate people. Like he's just so frustrated. <laughs> you know, and we all have that moment. Like, I think it's fair. And, and it's, you know, the, the cool thing is, Scott can articulate it. Like he, that's how he can articulate that frustration and, and then work through it. Right. Like, I think that's, that's the vulnerable piece. I want to shift a little bit and I think it goes really well with secession planning. <laughs> it wasn't planned, but I want to go up the chain on your board of, you know, next gen leaders. Like what's that mean? I think nobody talks about it that way. It's a really fresh approach. What does that mean when you talk about next generation leaders? Okay. So for me, I'm 46. So I'm Gen X and I feel most times as though I am a 
a, a, a translator or a mediator arbitrator between, oh my gosh, those darn millennials and the boomers that are probably shouldn't be in where they are right now. And, and when I look at it is at some point, first of all, millennials now have such a wide range and like they what the oldest millennial is now 41. So really is it, but where I stop and think about is if you've built and grown this, you've got Wait, the- Hold on, I got to pause, pause. Scott, aren't you 41? I'm you 43. 43? Oh, no. you just missed it. You just missed it. Uh, but you stop and think you've grown and built this thing. Uh, you've got you've got the intellectual collateral in the company, probably have had the leadership skills, either been taught or just figured it out the tough way. Uh, probably have the biggest book of business like you and others at that level. You've got the skills. Yet you now want to move on and do whatever else that you need to do. Or if you don't want to, maybe you should. And when you start thinking about who are those that have shown promise, who are the ones that have shown potential that they're valuable members of your team or your firm, what are you doing to make certain that they have whatever they need to A, stay with the firm and be even more productive, but then to be able to say, you know, I think that person has potential. I think that person could be into, and I, I wrote an article a year or so ago, talk, or actually right before the pandemic, talking about baseball teams. You know, do you have the major leagues? Do you have your farm team? Do you have a process to identify that talent and to be able to make sure that when you need to, you know, to call upon them, that they're able to come up there and not fall flat on their face. And if you don't, if you have that process, you're either moving them up or you're moving them out of the organization and replacing it with the talent. So from an HR standpoint, talking about acquiring and retaining talent, paramount. But talking about how to grow and build the business, even getting into the part about the valuation, You've got something like this put in place. You're talking multiples on, on your valuation as opposed to the when you leave and check out for a couple months, you now are the key person. Your company's worth a fraction of what you thought it was. That was my situation where despite the billables for the firm, because of the way it was structured and because of my role and I wasn't developing that replacement, that one key hire that I didn't make yet, my, my valuation was probably 25% of what I felt it should have been. So a lot of different plays, a lot of different angles, again, depending upon who's calling upon me and who wants to have that tough conversation. We lost your audio again, Richard. There you are. There you go. That's two in one episode, first time this year. Um, Keith, how do you think about it the other way, though? Like, I love how you're talking about leveraging it down, right? And I love the line, leveraging your intellectual collateral. What if I am the millennial? What if I am that person? How do I, you know, to the point is it's a little bit about maturity, right? Like, and I, I love working with millennials. Their curiosity is so much better than mine as a Gen Xer. Um, it was naturally available to them. But what if I am that person and whether they're Gen Z or millennial, how do I leverage my intellectual collateral for growth uh, within my own company and, or, with, or at the next step and not burn the bridge? Like we don't want people to, to you know, be jerks about it, right? Right, right. Right. So it used to be, it used to be the, you just go to work, you do your best job for X number of periods of time, decade, hopefully somebody, you know, catches their, you know, you catch their eye and then you're one of the chosen ones to get, right. And that was my experience going through corporate America, which is part of the reason I said F you corporate America and, and left and did my own thing. However, with those individuals, there've been, you know, the prevalent of, you know, emerging professional groups, young professional groups, young leaders, like it, different organizations, uh, have had those and some companies have put those things into place. 
So for me, I always look to who are the people that at some point have self-selected, raised their hand, put me in coach, who have invested time or money into one of these groups. From there, that's where you have the people that either want to proactively take an approach like you're asking, or at least curious how to get started. I personally want to, to kind of dog ear and be around those individuals because they're the ones that are going to say, I want to move up, but, or it's the good old boys club or it's this, or, you know, and at that point, that's where you can find where their potential roadblock is. Is it self-imposed or is it just the, the five people they spend the most time with? And, and then whether I'm working with them or not, that's easier to be able to figure out what they need to, to move up, grow up, et cetera. But if I'm just going out to a random pond trying to hope to find one of these people, it's, it's either going to be, it's probably going to be a long, exhausting day. Now, now, you just said an interesting phrase, this like grow up <clears throat> phrase that, that you used. Part of what makes people successful in, in sales uh, and in particular in sales leadership is this self-awareness. And as you're thinking through, you know, developing next generation of leaders or even somebody who's going to succeed after you kind of move on, they've got to be self-aware. Not everybody has this level of self-awareness. Can you develop it? And if so, how? Other than, you know, sending somebody to therapy once a week for the next decade. How do you, how do you develop self-awareness in your team members? And can it be taught? So yes, I would say it would be taught for me. And one of the reasons I'm so passionate about DISC is because that's been my personal professional therapy of all the ways I screwed things up over the years. But I, I think part of it, part of it goes back to a coach. I played competitive soccer for, for, for decades. And I had a coach that said, I only want people on my team that's got a fire in the gut because I can't teach that. You fall down, you trip, you miss a big shot, you get hurt, whatever the case. If you're like, let me brush it off, let me get up, let me learn from my mistake, give me a chance to go get the game-winning goal, I want to work with those kind of people. In the professional standpoint, those who are committed, who are like, I, I, I know it could be a better way, there could be a different way, I could get there faster, how do I find the tools, the resources, the people, do the work? Those kind of people, I, again, I think it's easier for them to be receptive to feedback, maybe recognize that they had some blinders on, they weren't as self-aware, they're more receptive to that kind of a message. It's the ones that gave, even, say, the entitled idea to the millennials or the ones that are don't want to admit that something could be an error. I think they're the ones that never become truly self-aware. Just, just keep in mind, every generation, the boomers, Gen X, mm -hmm. we're way more self-entitled than the millennials. We're oh, dicks, yeah. right? And, <laughs> and the reason is, is that we're jealous. We're jealous of all the love and attention they get and they got, right? What they call training, I would have called micromanaging. I'd be like, don't tell me how to do something, right? <laughs> like, like that. And again, some of that's Richardism, but, um, but I, I, you know, every time I hear anybody complain about millennials and, and that, I'm just like, you're, you're the, so full of shit. The type, of, the type of training is different though. Don't you think like, you know, when we were coming up, it was like very potentially tactical sales training, very formulaic. This like Miller Hyman, Sandler, all these different, different kinds of things, which I didn't go through any of that, by the way, just to clarify. But the training that people get now, I think a little bit more is much more kind of life advice and much more inclusive. There's not such a delineation of like, work kind of coaching and training and development and personal life. 
And, and it's this concept that I've talked about before of, you know, better people sell better. And, and we were talking a little bit offline, Keith, and, and I think you phrased it a little bit differently. You're just like, you know, I'm trying to help people be better humans and that better humans are going to kind of perform better. Do you, do you agree that the, the, the type of training and coaching has, has evolved, you know, from when, when we were kind of coming up in the, in the game to, to now? Oh, yeah, I, I agree completely. And you mentioned you rattled off uh, a bunch of different methodologies. I've, I've either been sent through or paid for, I figured out 13 different ones where I've read books, 10 trend. I mean, and there's lots of good stuff there, but I would agree that it was, it, it, it was, it definitely seemed a lot more rigid, which is one of the reasons that I push back on some things. But, and I do agree that right now the, the approach is going to be a little bit different. And, and I think I shared on, on one of our first calls that sometimes I feel like I'm a hack psychiatrist who teaches communications training and the leadership sales customer service part comes across. I'm like, That's so good. I'm a hack psychiatrist. Say that yeah. again. I'm a hack psychiatrist who teaches communication skills. I think that's what he yeah. said. Yeah, hack psychiatrist who teaches communication skills, and the rest just kind of happens as a byproduct in a lot of cases. So that is 100%, Scott. Um, and I'll and I say that with love, and Scott knows it because he's 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 a he's educated in some of that stuff. Like that was part of his college education. And I've experienced it um, when I first met him and worked for him. As, and then, you know, sort of as I've grown, it's interesting you say the approach is different because, you know, my, you know, the difference that I do is stuff is I talk about the psychology all the time and everybody comes up and I think you've done this too, Keith. And, and I know Scott is like, wow, I can apply this in so many places. Mm -hmm. like I just had a conversation yesterday of like, look, stop thinking about this just externally. Think about it internally right? You know, think about how you navigate these complex deal cycles internally and get those people internally to get on your page to what you need to get done. But, you know, I'm a fan of Sandler, you know, I, and have built my own stuff in similar ways. And I don't, I mean, you know, the biggest, the biggest challenge I have with that particular methodology, and, and I'd love your, your feedback on it, because I think you're the first Sandler person we've ever had on here, is I don't know that it's rigid than it feels old, it feels dated. You know, I still hear Stanler people talking about the Columbo approach and I'm like, dude, I barely know who Columbo is. Mm -hmm. Right. Scott, I guarantee you, unless Scott's heard me talk about it, he doesn't know what Col who Columbo was. No, I um, don't know. I don't, I don't know who that is. So, so I'm just curious, like, how have you seen training evolve? And you can speak to Sandler. I know that's your, your, your primary methodology. Um, but how have you seen it evolve since you've been doing it so long? So I think, so yes, I will, I will admit, I was happy to see a couple years ago when Sandler got rid of, when they updated the submarine from the, what looked like a little bit more of a clip art cutesy submarine to something that actually looked like a nuclear submarine. I mean, they modernized some of the things. Uh, but I also think that just because something worked before doesn't mean it can't work again. Or just because it has worked doesn't mean it's always going to work. I, I totally agree. And it could be my bias of the people I've seen at Sandler. Um, and when I look at Sandler, it's, you know, I often see a lot of old white guys, right? And granted, I'm one of them too. So I, I you know, I'm, I'm criticizing myself. Um, so I'm trying to understand the evolution because it's been around a long time. You know, yeah, it's been around yeah. since the Yellow Pages, right? Yeah, so it's had to evolve, right? If you, you know, we all know in sales, if you don't evolve and adapt, you die. Um, and I like the modernization piece. And I agree with you. You can still look, feel felt found still works. 
yeah. right? People are, might be tired of hearing about it from a sales training perspective, but it fucking works, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I had a guy run up to me at an airport. I, had, I mean, I usually would travel if I was going to you know, a national sales meeting or something and, uh, and somebody ran up to me at the airport, pay money, pay money budget. Hey, and they're just like, whoa, dude, back like, and I mean, it was uncomfortable for me and everybody around. He's like, San Latrini changed my life. I'm like, it's awesome. Then what are you doing at an airport anyway? But but at some point, <laughs> I also think I also think to your point, how much of it is the training, and regardless of the methodology, how much is the training, and how much is the trainer? Agreed. Taylor yeah. has some individuals that have been 20, 25, 30 years, and yeah. they are world renowned. They're awesome. I'll change my schedule to be able to watch or listen. Yeah, to Guru them. Ganesh, right? Like he's the guy. Right. Guru Ganesh is amazing. And could rattle off a a few others. At the same time, there were some people that are in, you know, in training in any of them, and they are giving the same training that they've given for their entire career, and they're not adjusting. I've had countless times where somebody said, I the training that I just got with you and your team, completely different than what I had gotten 10 or 12 years before. The core stuff is there, but the delivery. And, and this could be opening Pandora's box for you and for the, for the listeners, but I'm a firm believer based upon personal experience and results with thousands of clients that, that sales is a science. The art is in the delivery. Scott knows I, I say this all the time. Like sales is absolutely a science. I can teach you exactly what to say, how to say it at what pace and tone. You just have to practice it, right? Yeah. That's like, it's totally like Scott's grinning for those who are just listening. So jump in, Scott, open, he opened the box. Go for it. No, No, I'm just, I'm grinning because you feel so validated right now. Totally. (laughs) (laughs) That's why. (laughs) See, there's a Sandler guy who's telling me I'm smart, right? (laughs) So Scott, you need, you need to leverage my intellectual collateral way more than you do. Well, that's probably true. I, maybe I leverage it with, and just don't tell you as much as you des- as you that I know my own fault. I'm a bad I'm a bad friend, Keith. We 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 kind of go back and forth sometimes, um, and I'm not too proud to admit we kind of go back and forth sometimes when we see some things that are a little ridiculous out there, or or hear some things that are a little ridiculous out there. Um, there's no way to stop it. It's not going to slow down. There's only going to be more platforms to proliferate this, you know, advice that's not ready for prime time. Here's my question for you. And it's a question that I get asked all the time and and Richard probably does as well. And and you maybe do too. How do you figure out if you're new to the game, you're just kind of getting started sales. There's so much noise out there. How do you figure out what's legit and what's not? How do you determine who to pay attention to and who to ignore? So part of it, Great question. So part of it is I can't answer it completely objectively because we are where we are and we've made mistakes. But but at the same time, I think always be mindful of who is giving the advice or what is their intent behind the advice. So some of our little sidebar banter on, on LinkedIn messages or we're sharing stuff and the can you believe and like you're 23 years old you've been in sales for three and a half years, Cutco knives, great experience, not going to translate into the, into the, into the professional world per se. You've been a sales leader for two and a half months and you're trying to give advice to all these people. 
while you might have a fresh perspective, you probably don't have a real life perspective. So is that person just trying to create a business by getting followers? Or is this person trying to impart wisdom to say, look, I'm 45 years old, 46 years old. I screwed up a lot of stuff. If I can share some things with you where you can accomplish what took me 30 years and you can do it in five, right? I'd want to learn from the people who have done it and who are willing to give generously as opposed to the people who are still trying to figure it out and are just looking for a bunch of people to follow. Let let me ask you one follow-up question to that though. What if, what if you've, what if you're following all these people who've been successful and been there and done that, but their advice is a little bit contrarian and, and, and different, right? What if like Richard says, turn left and Scott says, turn right. And somebody's out there thinking, hey, both of these people know what they're talking about. How the hell, do, how do I, how do I pick? What do, what, what do I, what do I do? So how does somebody find you know, the right voice kind of for them once they're sure that they're listening to the right group of people. Hopefully right. that makes sense. It does. It does. Uh, great. Well, they great just question. follow me, Scott. That's the end. Like, come on. Well, so then I was just thinking, all right, here's my chance to either be a real, be real stud or real dud by picking one, but I'll pick, I'll, I'll go off the line here. I, I think part of it also goes to style, you know, and again, I can say disc, whatever, but I mean, I think part of it goes to style. So if you were typically an analytical-ish type of person and Richard's putting something out there talking about the science, how it translates into the art. And you think, okay, guy clearly has been successful, knows what he's talking about and just how he's putting it down. I can just kind of resonate with that. But if Scott was more of a, you know, if it's not broken, maybe you, you know, maybe you should, or maybe you should do this or maybe, and he's more energy. Well, that's not really my speed. But both of them have things that can and will work. You need to find the one that works. Because one thing about stretching a comfort zone is it allows you to grow. But if you have somebody that keeps making you step out of your comfort zone, at some point you're going to get resentful and you're just going to go back to what it is. You're not going to stick with it. And then neither one of them is going to work. So I think find the the trainer, find the style, find that mentor that clearly knows what they talk about, want to help you, but at the same time, their style just kind of resonates with you. And you're gonna be like, I like that person. And it's gonna help make you be more uh, self, you know, self-responsible and have some uh, personal accountability as well. Yeah, I, I actually like that too. And, and to, I think it's better when Scott and I disagree or our friend John Barrows and we disagree because it, does, it gives people that opportunity to think about what does fit them, right? Um, and I think that's the healthy piece. It's kind of like, Hey, tell me what I don't know. And here are two people I trust or like, or follow. And, you know, but then they get to choose their own. Um, and to your point, you know, I'm the analytical data guy. Scott's the storyteller. Scott can spin a story way better than I can. I can still do it, but, um, it's just a little bit more natural for him. And, and, you know, as I always say, he's got disciples. He doesn't, you know, it's not fanboy and fangirls like they are legit disciples. Um, so it's it's interesting. So I, I like that. Um, I'm going to we got a couple more questions. But before I do that, I want to give a shout out to Salesforce Revenue Cloud, Lead411 and Gong.io, our sponsors for the month. Um, here's my question. And usually we get to this earlier, um, but I'll ask it later. When did you fall in love with sales? When did you know? Were you the kid, you know, throwing newspapers off the bike and collected money? Were, who were you as the kid? And the, and the better answer might be, when did your parents know you were going to be in sales? 
Well, so that was that was the first part. So my mom was the person that I still I still think it was meant the right way, but it was like you're either going to be a salesperson or a politician. Because she says you just have a way of getting into a conversation with somebody and they just tend to agree with you and do what it is you're wanting them to do. Either that or she thought I was gonna be so sociopath and I was just very manipulative. I, I don't know which those one. That sounds like options. Scott's mom. Those are the options. That's right. That's absolutely And yeah, so sales, politician, or sociopath. They're, they're, they're very diverse, but yet at the same time, very similar. Um, I decided I didn't want to be a politician because no matter what I said or did, I was wrong and I don't like to be I, wrong. I just so. like that he said for the first moment, well, I didn't decide not to be a psychopath. Like, like first he decided not to be a politician. No, so he broke it down to two. Sociopath, <laughs> high functioning sociopath, not a psychopath, big difference. Uh, one is intentional, one is unavoidable. But uh, <laughs> I think from the sales standpoint, part of it was, you know, I mentioned I played soccer and you know, I was soccer and Boy Scouts and what happens, you have fundraising events. So at some point, whether it was selling pizzas or this or whatever it was that you were selling, uh, hell, my sister was a it was in Girl Scouts. I'm like, I want to see my sister you know, win the prize for selling the most Girl Scout cookies. So I go out and help her sell 500 you know, cookies. So I think the competitive nature, I thought just at some point, somebody has a goal and they want to achieve the goal, helping them get there. And, and just the personal skills, I guess, just kind of were there, some of that raw talent. And, and so as that you know, progressed, I think I migrated towards certain positions. My first positions uh, were working at a retail and a department store and the, the deli counter at a grocery store. And naturally I was like, you always get a half pound of that particular type of ham. Do you want a half pound of cheese with it? Do you want to mix up the cheese? This should, I just, those things just came out of my mouth and okay, those are sales-esque stuff. So I think I was more of a reluctant salesperson I was skills looking for a path. And so I kind of gravitated towards those kind of positions when, when they were available. Could I have taken something in operations and gone up and killed it and you know, be some CEO of some $2 billion company these days? Maybe, don't know. But that was just kind of where my natural skills and comfort level seemed to be. So I kind of migrated towards that level. What was interesting though, is fast forwarding back to the, to the mid 2000s when I left the big corporate company and I decided I was gonna start my own company. Mom was excited for me and dad was kind of like, okay, so now you're gonna be full-time sales and your own business owner. Let me go get the guest room ready, right? I mean, so even though he was supportive, <laughs> at some point he's like, I can see where this could go tragically wrong. So again, mixed messages. My parents have always been supportive, but I think early on, I started exhibiting some of the traits that have led to this path as opposed to just like, well, I'm failing everything else. Let me try sales. I love what you said, skills looking for a path. Like, I mean, as I know Scott and how he recruits, that's exactly what he does. Yeah, He is 100% looking for the skills and finding the path. Um, next to last question, who's a better soccer player, you or Scott? Oh, I thought that was to Scott. Is that to no? It's to you. He's not asking. He's not asking me that question, Keith. Who Who's the better soccer player? Well, I guess it depends upon what position we're playing. I was uh, D mid. Oh, so was I. I was that stopper. Oh, I could run challenge. 90, I could run from ninety minutes, and my coach used to play on the Hungarian national team, and it was if that guy scores, you run for two hours at the next practice. So and he yeah. was not kidding. I mean, suicide sprints on a football field until you passed out or puked. So <laughs> motivation, if you will, um, 
probably not the, the best path these days. People are a little more sensitive to those things with their kids, but uh, taught me a lot of life lessons. So Scott, let's just say, let's wait till it warms up a little bit and uh, we'll do a little, uh, we'll do a uh, little. My answer, my answer was going to be, if we're talking right now today, all of my money is on Keith because I can't <laughs> run or do anything. If we rewind the tape, I feel pretty comfortable and, and confident, yeah. but who knows? Well, Scott, uh, you may need to tell them offline because we're only because we're running out of time. And you, one of these days you need to tell it online of of how you made the soccer team. Right. Like Keith oh, yeah. will appreciate that story. So um, anyway, we got we got to wrap it up. And before we do, Keith, we always sort of turn it over to you. What, what kind of questions you want to ask us? Oh, man, if I had known that, I would have asked uh, 20 minutes ago. Um, so so let me let me give let me ask you all. So I know this is put, giving you a chance to speak your mind, which you do all the time, for those individuals who are trying to put out great information for the next generations, for these aspiring people who are clamoring for knowledge, what advice would you ask them to ask themselves before they post that, here's what you should do on LinkedIn? I've got all this wisdom, here's what you should do. What should they be asking themselves before they hit send and try to yeah. help change people's lives? Have you done this before yourself? I'm just going to, I'll just start there. Like, I really try not to talk about anything that I haven't done myself or have direct experience with and done well, you know, trying to stay in my kind of, kind of lane. Like I made this ridiculous tongue in cheek post the other day about how I've made two angel investments. So now I'm going to host, uh, you know, a, a group on, on clubhouse because I know everything there is to know about it. Totally, you know, sarcastic tongue in cheek, but Sadly, there's a lot of people who post advice about things that they've never done. So before you hit the send button, please ask yourself, have I put this into practice? Have I done this? Has it worked for me? That's, that's, what, that's what I would tell people to ask themselves. Richard? I would say the same thing. Um, again, I'm super tactical where Scott's very you know, psychological. I encourage people to think about the failures they've had and share those because people gravitate to that story like, it, which aligns with what Scott says, but Scott says it more eloquently, have you done this before? Um, and I encourage people to share those stories more than just the practical advice. Now they can share it in a way of like the biggest mistake. Like I've got four, I've got this post to me, I haven't written the biggest mistakes I made in 2020. Um, and uh, and so that that's the piece that I like, but I'm, I'm also, you know, much more sadistic about myself and self-loathing I think, although Scott, Scott's more self-loathing than me, I think. Um, I just hide it better. I just yeah. hide it better. You do hide it better. So. <laughs> um, is baseball cap the opposite direction, Richard? I mean, that's, that's the difference. You got to put the rally cap on. Got I got, that. you know, my, my, I got a bald head and I got a weird shaped head. So it just sort of looks weird to me. Like I, I I'm also, I don't have a good self-image. Like I, oh, look at this. There yes, it is. I don't have the baseball cap, but <laughs> right. that's from and the. You want, you want to talk hats? You need to get Kevin Dorsey on because he literally changes them like Diana Ross would in the middle of a concert. Like he's got so <laughs> many wardrobe changes. So, uh, uh, Keith, it's it's been fun. We got to wrap it up, and it was it was a good question. I, I like that. Um, thank you, and uh, you know, thanks for coming on the show. It's nice to meet you. Uh, nice Likewise. to connect with you. I'd love to do it some more offline. Nope. Appreciate it, Keith. Thanks, gents. Cheers.